0: How many of you remember last summer was I believe it was in August was a tough time for hurricanes happening in uh, in the United States. Remember, and the first hurricane that we experienced was was Hurricane Harvey that that did some damage in. Uh, in, uh, in Texas, uh, particularly in the Houston area. But you might have heard, I, I heard this story on 2020, later on I read it in the New York Times, um, you might have heard this story about a, a guy by the name of Mattress Mac. Mattress Mac, great story. Mattress Mac was a guy who owned some big mattress furniture stores, three of them in the Houston area. And when he built them, he built them up like on stilts, they were built a little taller in case of flooding in the, in the downtown area. And these furniture stores were high-end furniture. Furniture stores. Mattress Mac is. I'm sure that's not his birth name, right? But, but that's what he went by. His mattress, mattress Mac, and these huge furniture stores uh, that he had. And what happened was when the flooding happened in Houston. Mattress Mac invited everybody who was impacted by this to come to his furniture stores, remember, and hang out on his brand new furniture, sleep on his brand new mattresses. He opened up the warehouse, he opened up the the, the galleries, and he said all the furniture is available. He didn't just do that. Mattress Mac actually sent his delivery trucks to the places that were flooded with megaphones saying, if you need help, get in the truck. We'll take you and we'll give you a place to sleep. We'll give you food and we'll give you water. We got a picture you can kind of see a little bit of. Some of the, these, if you look really close, I know you can't see it on this picture, but if you look really close, these people are sleeping on couches that have price tags that say $9,000. These people are laying on mattresses. The mattress alone costs $6,000, and he opened his store, and he said, I want you all to sleep here. I want you to relax. I want you to get comfortable here. I love the fact that Mattress Mac didn't wait for people to come to him, but instead, he went to go get those people by sending his delivery trucks out into the area's Where he knew there was a need. He found the people in need and he brought them to his stores. One of the TV reporters um, who asked him, asked him a question, said, What was it like? What's it like? And I love his answer. This is where I knew that Mattress Mac and I were connected, okay? I'd never met the guy, but this was his answer when the reporter said, What's it like? He said, Imagine a slumber party on steroids. I thought, Yeah, Mattress Mac really, really gets it. In the midst of destruction and devastation, he brings people together as a community. They're all united by one common need, and this slumber party on steroids brings about strength and unity in a time when they were, they were desperate. That's what New Life Church should be. That's what we should be. In the midst of chaos and catastrophes in the world, we can come together and find strength with one another, but more importantly, we can find strength from God. God. I'm going to need some help this morning. It's been a party weekend. We've gone to three parties this weekend because we're party people. Come on, you can say amen, yes? And so I'm a little fatigued, but I don't want you to pick up on that. So if I give a pause and a little nod, you all be yelling amen. How's that sound? There we go. Thank you very much. Right on. Um, in this series, we've been talking about the fact that we are designed by God to be party people. That's Let's what he is. There it is. Let's get it there we go. There we go. We are to be people that celebrate life and to be known for the joy that we have. That's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be people that are party people. This last week, um, the, the teenagers met from our church. They met at our home. Uh, I did, I, we were gone um, we, on, by design, um, and uh, but they, they were hosted to a party, and I did come by a little bit, and they were having a great time. The report came to me that one of the kids, one of the... One of the teenagers said, this is the best time I've had in a long time through a choked up voice as she was on her way out the door from one of our youth leaders. I'm telling you, they had a great party, just had a blast. It's good that God's people get together and celebrate and develop and fortify relationships. If you are a, I don't even know what to call this, but if you are a, I call them senior saints, but if you are a person that is approaching retirement age or at retirement age, um, and you're available Thursday, Thursday at 11 o'clock, come to our house from 11 to 1. We have got an incredible party planned for you, and we want you to join us. It's going to be a great time at 11 a.m. at our house. You don't have to drive at night that way. At 11 a.m. at our house, it's a lunch thing. Come home. We're going to have a great time, so we want you to join us for a party uh, at, our, at our home. We're trying to do parties for everyone, but particularly we're trying to choose people that oftentimes can feel a little overlooked. It doesn't mean they're, under, they're, they're, they're not valuable. They just may feel undervalued, and we want to have great parties and hang out, and I love hanging with our, with our, with our, with our people that are retired. Um, next, the next two Sundays at the church, at New Life, we're going to have two party-themed Sundays, Next Sunday, we're doing what's called creative worship. We're going to try to do it a little bit differently. Some of you have been to a creative worship gathering before. Water baptism is a celebration and a party. We're going to have a great time in what we call creative worship. It's a participatory worship time that maybe you've never done before in church. You'll find it to be very rewarding and very helpful to you in your spiritual walk. But we want it to be a celebration. And then the following Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. And so you need to come to church on Super Bowl Sunday, right? I mean, the game doesn't start until the afternoon. So come. come, and but Besides, who cares who's in the game this year? So I want, I want, you, to, I want you to come. I want you to come on Super Bowl Sunday on February 4th. We're going to have a, I promise you, you're going to have a great time. You're going to be treated to some things, and it's going to be a party atmosphere. Um, let me just say this, come hungry. How's that sound, right? Come to church hungry. I know it's 9 o'clock, and come to church hungry. We're going to have a great time on Super Bowl Sunday. When people come here, they should, they should be able to see that we are not defeated, They should be able to see that we are not demoralized, we are not anxious, we aren't overwhelmed, we're not pessimistic, we're not negative. Why are we not any of those things? Because we know God. And because we know that because we know God, hope lies within him. And it's not within our circumstances that we experience in our lives. So in this series that we're calling Party People, we are discovering that this is what God wants from us. From the beginning, let me recap just for a moment. From the beginning, we have found in the Old Testament these feasts, these feasts celebrations, these parties that were established by God as a part of God's identity for his people. In other words, you and I are created for a purpose, and part of that purpose that we've been created for is to celebrate. Listen, church should never be a boring place. There you go, right? Don't wait for the cues. If you just feel like you need to say it, just say it, right? Okay, church should never be a boring place. Sometimes we compare church to uh, places in our community Like you ever heard church being compared to a hospital Yes you heard that before yeah Church is like a hospital for the hurting people People come in and we want them to be healed and made well We've heard that church can be compared maybe to a, a gas station A filling station When people come in they're empty and they come and they get filled up So they can go back out and they can just go to town for the Lord I like this one What, what, do you, what is this picture that we're going to show you up here on the screen this, What's it called? It's a locker room That's what I think church should be Church is like a locker room Maybe you're brand new to the game. Maybe you've never been out on the field as a follower of Jesus Christ. You just came to know the Lord. Maybe that's you. You're in the locker room for the first time. You've never gone out on the field. You're feeling a little anxious. You're feeling a little, I mean, this is an unknown for you. This is a change. This is a pivot for you in your life. Well, this is the time that you can be inspired, a time that you can have hope breathed into you, and you're surrounded by other people that are getting all pumped up, right? They're getting ready for the big game. Church is a locker room. Maybe it's halftime. Maybe you've been in this game for a while. You've been a Christ follower, and you come out in halftime, and, and you come into the locker room, and you're feeling a little bit beat up. I mean, you're, you're, you've been pounded. You're losing, it appears. The scoreboard says you're losing. You feel like you've been beat down a little bit. You kind of feel a little hopeless. Even the people around you have turned on you. Instead of cheering you on when you first ran out of the locker room, you're running back in the locker room, and the people that said they're going to support you are booing you now it hurts and you're in the locker room and what you need is you need to be inspired what you need is you need to have a place that you can have hope and belief that's renewed and restored inside of you maybe you're at the end of the game because here's what i know about every every christ follower that's in the locker room when you're at the end of the game you always win see it doesn't matter what the scoreboard says at halftime it doesn't matter what says at 2 minutes left in the fourth quarter What matters is, we know who wins in the end. So maybe you're in the end, or approaching the end of the game. You should be celebrating. In fact, before you start, in the middle of it, and toward the end, you can celebrate the whole time. Because it's kinda like, you know, you already saw the game. I I, I don't like knowing who won when my team is playing, kind of, but it sure does take a lot of pressure off when I already know who won, and then I can sit back and watch the game. You don't understand what I'm talking about. It might be a little disappointing to kind of like the suspense isn't there. But when we're talking about our lives, our eternal destination, I want to know. And I do know. And, and I hope that you know that we have a hope. We already know we're on the winning team. Victory is certain. Church is a locker room, baby. Ah. Psalm 46 Verses one through three. I'm reading from the NIV. You got your Bible turned there, and then I'll tell you where to turn after this, but you can read it on the screen. Just, Just as an introduction God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. God is our refuge. And when it all looks lost, God is still our refuge. And this hope should give us joy because we know that God is going to protect us in difficult times. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We do not find our joy in our spouse. We don't find our joy in our children. We don't find our joy in our job or in our bank account or our retirement or home or our possessions. We find our joy in God, and that is something to celebrate. So last, last week, we looked at Luke chapter 14. This week, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, the very next chapter. Uh, the, the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke is where we're at. Never be afraid or ashamed to use the index in your Bible. If you've got a Bible app, open up to Luke chapter 15. It's where we're going to be hanging. Let me kind of recap Luke chapter 14 as kind of an introduction to Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 14, we understood last week that Jesus um, confronted these religious leaders, these people who thought of themselves as godly, but indeed were not. You see, Jesus was invited to their parties, but they didn't really want to invite him to their parties, but they invited him to their parties, to their celebrations, to their dinners, to their banquets. Because Jesus had a title. His title to them wasn't son of God. His title to them wasn't Messiah. His title was rabbi. He was a teacher, a respected, rabbi means teacher. He was a respected rabbi, a respected teacher in that culture. So because of that, the religious leaders were compelled to invite him, even though they didn't want him to come to the parties. And so in Luke chapter 14, there was this party. I don't think you or I would call it a party, however, because it wasn't a lot of joy. There wasn't a lot of fun being had. But Jesus was in the home of these religious leaders and they had invited a bunch of other religious leaders to come to this party. And so it was people who were the same that were all at this party. And so Jesus challenges the religious leaders to rethink who they're inviting to their parties, who they're inviting to their celebrations, to rethink who gets invited. He says, why don't you invite some people that can do nothing in return for you instead of inviting people who can repay the favor? Because you invited them to the party, now they're going to do something for you. You ever, you ever had a relationship like that? Where, where somebody would just, they just wanted you to be a part of their life because they knew that you could do something. Anybody besides me ever had that before? What's in it for me kind of a thing? He says, find some people that can do nothing for you. Go, in, go invite the undervalued. Go invite the overlooked people. And then Jesus addresses, and I want to revisit this just for a moment. I did get some questions last week. Jesus addresses prejudice and racism, which ends up being this ongoing theme throughout the gospels it's important that we hang here for just about just a just a couple of minutes so what the first century church realized what we want to realize also is that when the gospel is preached a fruit that comes from the preaching of the gospel is the fruit of diversity because everyone is invited the party is for everyone uh, race economic status it doesn't matter everyone is invited jesus gave his life so that all people everywhere would get an invitation. Now what I don't want to say, I don't want you to don't I I don't believe we're supposed to be people who are colorblind because there's beauty in God's creation. I, I don't I don't think so. We're we're are we supposed to be people that don't notice differences that we have? No, we're supposed to be people that celebrate differences. It's unrealistic, and it is demeaning to totally miss God's beauty in his creation and in his design. In fact, Revelation chapter 5, we read that at this great party in heaven, it's going to be colorful. It's going to be awesome. It's not that we get to heaven and we all look the same, and now it's paradise because we all look the same. That's That's not what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible tells us just the opposite. Um, The Bible describes this party where diversity is beautiful. It's not that we don't notice those things, it's that we do notice those things and we celebrate those things together. We give God glory. And that party, it's at that party where there will be people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation gathered together to celebrate the beauty that's found in diversity. And as a church that embraces diversity, I think that's very attractive at this party. Can you say amen, yes? I mean, I think it's absolutely awesome. Luke chapter 15. Here we go, guys. You're in your New Testament, Luke chapter 15, verse number one. We're going to go through this. Just so We're actually going to use the whole chapter today. Don't get overwhelmed. I'm going to walk you through this thing, but you're going to get something that I don't think you ever, maybe, maybe you hadn't gotten before or be reminded of something that you had forgotten. Verse number one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. That's speaking of Jesus. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. Luke makes this especially clear to us that these are the people throughout the ministry of Jesus, these people that have reputations of being notorious sinners, were following Jesus Christ. They were the ones who followed Jesus. Hmm. Not people you necessarily wanted to be associated with because, if we're going to be honest, you don't want to be put into that group. But Jesus says, I'm going to intentionally put myself with those people because those people are my people. <laughs> Who, why did they spend time with Jesus? Ask yourself that question. I, I think it's because Jesus wanted to spend time with them. And he wants to spend time with you too. They weren't on his chore chart. They weren't a project for Jesus. Um, this weekend, I don't I had to spend some time with sinners, so I'll hang out with the tax collectors. It wasn't that to Jesus. Jesus wanted to spend time with them, so they wanted to spend time with him. And these tax collectors and sinners would listen to him speak, and guess who would get bent out of shape? The religious leaders. They'd get all hacked off because Jesus is spending time with them. Listen, sometimes it, it's better if certain people just don't like you. That's okay. Verse number two. Um, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, I love that word, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Welcomes, what welcomes? That's receiving as if this person was a family member or a close friend. So, so they, he welcomes these tax collectors and, 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 and sinners. There's no reluctance. There's this open-arm kind of embrace you see, when Jesus sees a tax collector, he sees a son. When Jesus sees a prostitute, he sees a daughter. And for people like this, there just doesn't seem to be a path that they can get back onto, a, a trail that they can get back to the, to, the, to the road that God originally designed them to be on. It just seems impossible to get back to where I'm supposed to go. I can't get back to where I, I know. So Jesus says, mm, I'm going to be your trailblazer. You follow me and I'll get you back where you need to go. And he says that to you too. My brothers and I used to, didn't tell my parents, um, my brothers and I, I went and bought a machete for $3.99 when I was a kid. My parents probably would have not been happy with me if they found it. I stuck it in an old, an old uh, PVC pipe uh, in, the, in the garage on the rafters you know, up there. I was, I don't know, I was some kind of, maybe I was a psychopath, I don't know, but I had a machete up there. We had woods back behind our house, and the neighbor kids, would. would we had nicknames for each other, all superheroes, and my, my superhero name was the Incredible Hulk, um, because I would just, just turn it on ah, with my machete, and i start hacking through the woods, and they'd follow me. It's amazing I didn't follow through a little too much, and I don't know. There's something about trailblazing, and there's something about following somebody who is creating a brand new path for you to get through. And that's what God does. He sent his son Jesus to trailblaze for us. And frankly, that's your job too, is to go into those places where people feel they could never get back on the road again to life and trailblaze for them. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'll help you get back. I'll walk the walk with you. I'll go on the journey with you. Okay, these religious leaders didn't know what to do with this, so they muttered is what the Bible says. They, they muttered. this. Maybe the word in your Bible says they complained. They, they just talk and they gossip with each other, telling, telling each other how much they don't like this at all, and Jesus responds to them, and he responds by telling a series of stories. We learned last week... That if you say something and Jesus' response to you is by telling a story, dude, you're dead, right? He's going to take you down, and that's what's going to happen. He's going to tell three stories, and these three stories are the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. He's going to help us understand something. And each of these stories have a pattern. I want you to see that. Lost, found, party. Lost, found, party. Party. That's the theme of all three of these stories, the pattern of all three of these stories as we look at them together. The first one is the story of the lost sheep. Look at verse number four. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. 100 sheep, by the way, is a lot of sheep. I mean, it's a lot. One sheep is too many sheep for me, right? But 100, 100 sheep is a lot of sheep. Back then, if you had 15 to 20 sheep, you had a good herd. 100 sheep, this is like eyebrow-raising moment for these people in this culture. 100 sheep... I don't know, for me, it's like, that's disgusting, right? But for them, suppose you had a hundred sheep. Let's go on. And loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? I don't know. Does he? You know? I'm not sure that that makes total sense to me. I'm not a shepherd expert. I'm not a sheep expert. I don't think that he does. I'm just gonna be real, can we just be real for a minute? Seems to me it's a little risky to leave the 99 behind in the open country. Open country implying they're not hid. Wolves could come in and take them and so forth. To leave the 99, seems to me that maybe the most responsible thing to do would be to stay with the 99 and count your losses. Say, I better be more careful next time so another one doesn't get away. So you don't run the risk of losing even more. That seems to me to be the responsible thing. So here's what you see in each one of these three stories. Jesus, I love this by the way, he asks a question or he makes a statement and then he answers it immediately by making it sound like the answer is pretty obvious when it probably wasn't pretty obvious to the people that were listening to the story. So when he says, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one? Everybody's probably like, well, no, no, that's not what he does at all. But Jesus is explaining through these stories how the kingdom of God works. It's different than you had thought of in the past. Maybe it's different for you than you had thought of in the past as well. But about the 99, what about them? How are the 99 going to feel when you leave them all alone in the open country, and you go after the one that is lost, how are they going to feel? Aren't they going to feel a little neglected? Well, Jesus says no. Look at verses five and six. And when he, and when he finds it, be joy, or he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And so they party together like party people, right? Rejoice with me, woo, let's have a found my sheep party, right? Apparently that's you can find that in Hobby Lobby decorations and so forth. Verse, verse number seven, I, t- I tell you that in the same way there would be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is saying to the religious leaders, come on, guys, come on, guys, why don't you just join in the party? will not you just join in on the, on the celebration? You're standing guard at the door because you don't want anybody inappropriate to come to the party. And you're watching at the door, but you're missing out on the party. Would you please join me and celebrate with me? There is one who was lost and now is found. It's party time. If you want to know what heaven celebrates, this is it. Heaven does not celebrate when 99 people are gathered together in safety and they're comfortable. Heaven celebrates when one person who was lost is now found, who is rescued from the pit of hell. Story number two, the lost coin. Verse number eight, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins, 10 silver coins down the bottom, a coin is, is about a day's wage, so 10 days, uh, ten, 10 days wages, and loses one, one day's wage. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Does she? Does she? So you have $1,000, and you lose $100, $100. You have 10 $100 bills, right? That's a lot of $100 bills, right? We're just being real, but it's $100, right? You lose it. You know it's in your house somewhere. Are you really going to stay up till 3 in the morning, sweeping the house, turning the furniture over, looking for that $100 bill? Um, reframe it then. If it's not, then reframe it. If you've got less money, if you got 10 $10 bills, are you really going to sweep the house looking for that? I don't think the answer is yes. I really don't think the answer. I think the answer is going to be I'm going to bed. It'll turn up. I know it'll turn up. I'll find, it. I'll find it. It'll be okay. It's not like it's in somebody else's house. It's not like somebody came over and stole it, right? It's in my house somewhere. It's probably in the pocket of one of my little kids, right? I don't know. And it's going to come out in the laundry. I'll find it. Everything's going to be just fine. Hmm. But does she really light a lamp, look under everything? Um, I don't know. I've got 10 of these, she might say. I've got Nine. Really, I've got 10 because the other one's here somewhere. Eventually, I'm going to find it. I'm going to go to bed. Jesus says, That's not how it works. Look at verse number nine. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. She throws a, I found my coin party. Now, I have a question for you. I'm, I know this because I have, we have a lot of kids. Throwing a party is expensive. Y'all with me? Wouldn't it cost more to throw a party than what she found? I think it would cost more, the party would cost more than the value of the coin that she found. It seems a little irrational to me to do that. Oh, look, I lost something. I'm a doofus. Uh, come celebrate with me. I'm not a doofus anymore. I found it. I don't. Excuse me if that offends you. I, I don't know, but... She finds, seems to me, I'm picking this thing apart, I'm looking at this thing through a a lens of like normalcy because sometimes we read Scripture and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, no, it doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to make sense because it's kingdom of God talk. Each story, each of these stories explains the great effort that God puts into reaching the one and the, the great celebration that takes place when just one is found. Why? Because one matters to God. One matters to God. And so Jesus is, is pulling back the curtain of heaven, and he's giving you and I a glimpse as to what causes parties to break out in heaven. And this is it. This is it. All of heaven gets excited when one person is loved, when one person is rescued, when one person is pursued. When Hurricane Harvey hit, uh, the, the news was very sad by the destruction and the lives that were lost. But when I heard the stories of the one like you, that's what news does pretty well. They try to bring out the story of the one, and they share the story of of one person being rescued or or one person uh, going after the hurting like Mattress Mac went after the hurting people. Um, Your heart starts to be encouraged. That's the priority of one in the kingdom of God. It's one person at a time. We're in this Deep Impact, of, uh, impact Initiative, Deeper Impact Initiative uh, here at New Life, and we're going to be doing this all year long, so I'll be reminding of you regularly, but it's connect, grow, serve, connect, grow, serve, connect, grow, serve, connect. We want you to pray for all four houses around your house all year long, not once. If you haven't started yet, you need to get started because I'm going to keep on hassling you. are going to keep on feeling guilty, and you're not going to be able to sleep at night comfortably. And I'm just kidding. I want, you, I want you to start doing this. So pray for the homes to the north, south, east, and west of your home, even if you don't like them, especially if you don't like them, right? Start praying for them. And uh, uh, by the way, here's the deal: every time in my ministry, eventually, over the course of two and a half decades of ministry, somebody's going to get hacked off at you, right? Uh, y'all understand that, yes? When you're with anybody for any period of time, eventually there's going to be conflict, right? And so, um, wh- what I what I believe is um, when someone comes in there upset with me, and that doesn't happen very often, but when that happens, the first question I have is, "Have you been praying for me?" Because if you've been praying for me, you can disagree with me but not be angry. You follow me? Yeah, you know that might be the answer for some of y'all in your marriage too. Maybe start praying for your spouse. You're not even be so hacked off at him all the time. You can still disagree. You just don't have to be, you know, mean. Um, you know, be nice. Okay. So getting back to getting back to Hurricane Harvey, this deeper impact initiative. where is that? Excuse me. I went on bunny trail. Connect. Pray for the north, south, east, and west homes around your home. Grow. Come to a group. Start in midweek groups. We've got four sessions of groups this year. Two in the spring, two in the fall. There'll be not. There won't be one in the summer. Come to a group, not just one group. But when you come to a group, they're short term. This first group is nine weeks. Come to a group. It's one hour every Wednesday night. Come to it. Something for your kids, something for your teens. Come to a group and then serve. Attend one, serve one. We want you to come to a Sunday morning gathering, nine o'clock, and then serve in the ten o'clock one. It might even be at the beginning of the ten o'clock one. So that you, or ten. Excuse me, the eleven o'clock one. Serve. It might be. I. I you know what? I. Time is, is critical for me, but because we're attending One, Serve One, I want to be a part of the solution, Pastor Troy. What can I do to help? How about you serve? You decide you'll greet right after this gathering? You go to the restroom, do what you gotta do, go in the lobby, and you just start shaking hands and passing on bulletins to people as they're coming to church. And then when church starts, you're free to go. But you can attend one and you can serve one because that's the, the deeper impact initiative where all of our family is together. The other thing about that attend one, serve one is you don't have to wonder, bump into somebody and say, hey, uh, do I know you? Yeah, I go to New Life. I didn't know you went to New Life. Well, they go to a different gathering than you. We went to keep the family united attend one serve one so that's the deeper impact initiative because one matters to god i'm not asking you to go into your whole neighborhood i'm saying pray for the one home in your north one home in your south one in the east and one on the west one matters to god some people don't like talking about numbers in church some people really don't like talking about numbers in church how many people are in church it really bothers them when we talk about it Pastor, that's not appropriate. It's not spiritual that we should talk about this. We should be thinking about quality and not about quantity. That's what we should be doing. We don't want to play the numbers game. We should be thinking about quality and not about quantity. We're not going to play the numbers game here at New Life Church. Imagine that when my four daughters were younger, Um. I wanted to give my wife a respite, a break. She worked really hard with our daughters. And so imagine with me that I took my four daughters to Disneyland for a couple of days, took them down there, and they had a great time so that Keely could stay home and have a rest, a much-needed rest. I never did this, so we're just imagining, okay? We're just imagining. (laughs) Let's just say that I did, Okay. Give me kudos just for a moment, right? Some of you dads are going, Troy, don't go there, don't do that, don't say that. Let's just say that I did. So we spend the day riding the rides and seeing the attractions and we have a great time and after a while, several hours have gone by and I notice I've only got three daughters with me and the fourth one, I can't find the fourth daughter and I notice that that, and I'm, uh, you know, but by now I'm really tired so I don't even bother looking for her. <laughs> So we we get in the car and we drive the six hours home and I get home and my wife meets me at the door feeling fully refreshed, ready to plant a great big juicy kiss on me and then she stops and she says, Troy, we have four daughters. There are only three daughters here and I say, look babe, I don't want to play the numbers game. <laughs> it's about quality, not about. <laughs> that is funny. That's funny. That took me a while to draft that sucker. That is funny. I don't care who you are. I would never do that. It, if one was missing, then listen to me. Nothing would matter as much in that moment, as that one that was missing. You follow what I'm saying? (laughs) All energy, all effort would be put into finding that one. Does that mean I don't love the other three? No, but the other three would join me with as much passion, as much energy, and as much effort into finding the one that was lost. If they sat back and said, why am I getting no attention? There's something wrong in that family. Y'all follow what I'm saying? because one matters, one matters. And so the 99 sheep, they may feel, I don't know if I can do this, but bad. I I knew that was so cheesy, I'm so sorry guys. I'm gonna nix that one from the 11 o'clock gathering right now. They may feel neglected, right? They may feel that way. Doesn't the shepherd know how long I've been a part of this flock? Doesn't the shepherd know how much wool that I've sacrificed and I've invested into this flock over the years? Is he really going to go after the 90 or after the one and trade the 99 for the one? Yes, because that is the heart of heaven. Because one matters to God and one should matter to us also. Story number three, the prodigal son. Chapter 15, look at verses 11 and 12. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. In other words, the younger son is saying, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. So can I just have my money right now? Now they're hearing this story. Remember who's listening to this? The religious leaders. They're hearing this story and they're like, that would never happen in our culture, and it would never happen in that culture. So what Jesus is describing is, is, frankly, he's describing something that's unheard of to them. He is describing the kingdom of heaven unheard of to them. Verse 13, keep going with me. We're rocking through this thing. Not long after that, the younger son got, to, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything there, there was a severe famine in the land, uh, in that whole country, and they began to be uh, in need. Verse number 15, so he went out and hired himself to be out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs, and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods of the, that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, verse number 17, this is where the story pivots, so get ready. You ready for this? Uh, When he came to his senses, (laughs) there you go, somewhere along the line, y'all came to your senses, yes? Or you're fixing to come to your senses really soon. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? Verse number 18, I will set out and go back Uh, To my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. And the people in the crowd, guys, at this point would have been astonished. The people in the crowd at this time would have been shaking their heads because this is not how it would have happened. Someone once said that this parable, this story, should have been called the parable of the running father. Because it's the most unusual and it's the most attention getting aspect of this story. It's because a first century Jewish father would never run to his rebellious son with open arms. It just wasn't going to happen. It wasn't a part of that culture. It wouldn't have happened. Just no. Let's continue, verse 21. Um, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Uh, verse number 23, uh, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's have a party and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and now is, and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Sounds like the end of the story to me. Sounds like following the pattern of what the previous two stories were like, to me, does it not sound the same to you? If we stop the story right there, the sheep was found, party, end of story. The coin was found, party, end of story. The son was found, roll the credits, play the music montage, we're getting ready, to end this story, and then something happens. I'm confident the people in the audience thought the story was over at this point, and they thought by the rhythm of the previous two stories, that this was it. I think, this is just Troy, but I think they began immediately talking to themselves. <coughs> Conversation kind of ensued, like it does in the movie theater, you know? Credits start to roll, everybody starts talking. Man, was that awesome? I learned so much. That was great. That was entertaining or whatever. I don't know, but they began talking. And I think maybe Jesus even allowed some sort of significant, dramatic pause there just for a moment. I think if that's what I see in my mind and then he uses a classic transition in storytelling <clears throat> meanwhile verse number 25 meanwhile the older son was in the field oh yeah he did say that at the beginning of the story there were two sons didn't he i oh, am yeah, that's right i thought i thought the story i thought the story was over but I remember now, he said that there were two sons, continuing verse number 25. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Hmm. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? He said, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. I'm not going in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him. And I'm thinking, dude's got a point. He's got a point. You just have to have your head in the sand if you didn't think he didn't have a point. He's got a point. We can kind of feel what he's feeling, I think, at this point. It didn't seem fair. The fact is, it wasn't fair. You need to hear that loud and clear. It was not fair. God never promised you that it would be fair. It wasn't fair. The older brother never left home. He didn't break the rules. He didn't ask for his inheritance early. And so he is disgusted by this extravagant grace that the father is showing the younger brother after everything the younger brother has done to him. He's disgusted by this. Verse number 31. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost And is found. Oh, snap. Ding, 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 ding. The religious leaders are listening to the story and they're going, oh, here we go again. We're the older brother. And they get it. Right away, they get it. They understand, oh, he's talking about us. They know this because I think literally they they had spent their entire lives in the father's house. In the temple, that's what they did as religious leaders. They they had followed the rules, and from their perspective, from their perspective, from the religious leaders' perspective, they had earned an invitation to this party. I mean, who else? Who deserves an invitation more than we deserve an invitation? And so it just wasn't fair that all of these other people are just now coming in, and they get to go to the same party? It's not fair. So they, they, uh, they got to get treated with the same grace that i'm supposed to get treated with and i've been doing this for so the same love and care it just wasn't fair after all that they had done so the older brother stood outside with arms crossed stood outside just ticked off i mean he's just hotter than thunder outside and he he refused to go into the party he's so focused on the sins of his younger brother, that he did not recognize his own sin and how good and gracious his father had been to him for all of these years. Unfortunately, this happens in the church sometimes. People shake their head. What's he doing here? He asked me he needs to make things right before we let him enter in here. If you ask me, she, she's got to get her act together. She just, if you knew what I knew, just. If you ask me, we, we've seen this happen before. They come in and then they leave again and they come in and leave again. It didn't last before, so why should it last this time? If you, if you ask me, she's got to get cleaned up first. I've got a newsflash for you. Nobody's asking you. Because this isn't your house. And this isn't My house. This is the Father's house. And and, and God is saying, he's saying, Here, here's who gets invited. Everyone. E- everyone. Uh, you can take a vote if you want to, but it doesn't matter. And if you read this story, hard to know how it ends. I mean, Jesus says it ends with the Father saying to the older son, we had to celebrate and we had to be glad because this my son was lost and now's found. He was dead. He's alive again. We had to celebrate. That's how it. But I have a brain and you have a brain. And if you think some of these stories through, don't you wonder how did it really end? What did the older brother do? I want to know. I want to, I'll buy like, like, like the second uh, 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 sequel in the story. I want to know what happened. I want to know what happened. Did he stay outside, arms crossed? Did he go inside? Did he go inside to the party, swallow his pride. Okay, you know what, Dad, you help me out. I'm glad he's home. Did he come to his senses? Did he go into the party and celebrate? Did the older brother and the younger brother embrace tears streaming down their faces? I'm so sorry, the younger brother says to the older brother. I should have never left you. And the older brother says to the younger brother, I'm so sorry, I should have gone after you. Is that what happened in the story? Or did did the older brother leave, maybe go somewhere, maybe like the beginning of the story, did he go back out into the fields again and keep on trying to work really, really hard with a bitter and a prideful heart, determined to earn his way? How's the story end? Jesus doesn't tell us. And I think that's on purpose. It's called a hanging conclusion. And you wanna know why? Why? Because how the story ends is decided by you and me. We get to decide. How the story ends, we're going to have to wait and see. God created us to be people that celebrate. And we need to celebrate the right things. When someone who feels unloved is now loved, we should celebrate that. When someone who was lost is now found, even if they've been lost again and they get found again and they get lost again and they get found again and they get lost again, I am still going to go after the one because one matters to God. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, as we're learning the value of celebrating that that's been something that actually has been grafted into the dna of your people that we are supposed to be people that celebrate that rejoice when the the sheep is found when the coin is found when the sun is found that's kingdom of heaven thinking (laughs) help us to have kingdom of heaven thinking in our minds in our hearts in our spirits with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, again I'm—I would be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity. Maybe you're the the sheep. We're coming after you. Maybe you're the coin. We're not going to sleep till we find you. Maybe you're the sun. We don't care what culture says. We're going to sprint toward you. And we're going to give you a party. Because that's what we do as followers of Jesus Christ. So two questions. Is that you, number one? And number two, don't you think it's time that you start thinking like the shepherd that went after the one? Like the woman who flipped the house to look for the coin? And like the father who sprinted toward the, the wayward child? Isn't it time we start thinking differently instead of thinking, well, natural consequences, you get what you get. Isn't it time we start thinking that We've pursued them before. But let's pursue them again. Isn't it time that we start thinking with kingdom logic instead of man's logic? Are you ready? First question. are you one of these? Are you ready to be found? Because we're here for you. Jesus is waiting with open arms and he's saying, I have never stopped chasing after you. I have never stopped pursuing you. even in your darkest moments, man, I have been I've been just after you. And I will never stop. His love is relentless and his grace is extravagant. He will never stop. Aren't you ready just to say, Lord, here I am. I surrender it all to you. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up, put it back down again? Just kind of say to God, that's me. I receive your love. Come on, do it right now. Thank you. Maybe, maybe, thank you. Thank you, yes. Yes. Maybe, maybe the second question is more applicable to you. Aren't you ready to start having kingdom thinking and start, quit missing the parties. Start celebrating a little bit more. Start rejoicing, knowing that God is God and, and you're not, that he's got the big job and you've got the job of following him, right? And there's safety in that. And all we gotta do is walk in obedience to God. Maybe you should be the good shepherd that goes after the lost sheep. Maybe you should be the woman who flips the house and finds the coin, or you should be the father. That goes after the wayward son. There are different ways you can do that. Maybe we can help you with some tools. But but we need to understand that our job is a job of pursuit. If you're ready for that to be your job and you're saying, Lord, you've opened my eyes today and I want to be that guy. I want to be that follower of yours. Slip your hand up to heaven right now. Slip your hand up to heaven. God, I want to be that follower of yours. God, I want to be that follower of yours. I want to be that follower that is relentless, that is extravagant, that will do whatever it takes. I'll do anything short of sin to reach people who do not know Jesus Christ. Lord, we commit this to you. We ask for your help and for your favor. We pray for your blessing, and we pray, God, that you'd help us to see things that we hadn't seen before, to go after people that we hadn't thought of to go after before. God, to demonstrate your love in ways that we had never thought of before. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen, and amen, and amen. Man, this is a day that the lost have been found. Shouldn't we give the Lord a hand clap for that this morning? That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Praise God. You know, I'm, I'm super proud to be your pastor. I'm super proud to be a part of the, the, the team that helps you in your spiritual journey. We're all in the same thing together. We're all in the ship together. We all want to keep on seeing God do great things in our families and in our family collectively at New Life. And we miss you when you're not here. So we're so glad that you joined us today. Next time, I want you to look to the seat to your left and to your right, maybe the one in front of you and behind you. Just that seat should be full. Sick love somebody, and, and invite someone to join you on the mission here at New Life Church. May the Lord bless you, may he keep you, may he make his face to shine upon you, may he lift up his countenance upon you, may he give you rest, and may he give you peace. God bless you, New Life Church, you are dismissed. Amen, amen, amen.